If you've got a Bible, you want to grab that. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we have several back there that we can grab. If anyone needs a Bible, raise your hand or you can go back there in the back. We have lots of Bibles in lots of different languages if you need one. So the title of this message is Questionable Actions. So as you think about that, I was talking to Tony here before the service got going and he was running a little bit late for worship practice because he said there was a graduation or something going on. The traffic was really bad. And uh, I asked him, I said, did you have any questionable actions as you were trying to get through traffic to go to church? And uh, he, he said maybe, but uh, in his mind at least. But I asked that, do you ever have actions in your life that maybe would cause others to look at what you're doing and question, why, why, why are they doing that? Why did they do that? Now, I kind of mentioned that funny story just with Tony to pick on him a little bit. But, you know, these could be good things also. They don't always have to be bad things. So I want you to ponder that question, questionable actions in your life. I know there's been a lot of different things that I've done in my life that have caused my family, my friends, and just to question, like, why? Why would you do that? Sometimes good, sometimes bad. So today we're going to continue our study in Luke, if you've got your Bibles. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5, and Jesus and the disciples, they've been involved here, and there's only, all the disciples are not present yet, right? And we're going to see Matthew get called here in a little bit. So right now, the, Jesus and the disciples has been called so far now in the area of Galilee, and Jesus has been going around and been ministering, he's been very busy, he's been teaching, he's been, we've been studying him, he's been casting out demons, uh, he's been healing the sick, Jesus has been very, very busy. Yeah, we remember as we studied, there's a very important lesson that we saw. As busy as Jesus was, he also always took time to spend time in prayer and spend time with the Father. So last week, we had studied how Jesus had healed first a leprosy, a man with leprosy, and then he had forgave the man who had been paralyzed, and then also healed him from being paralyzed. Then everyone praised God. We remember the story. They said, we have seen amazing things today. All the people said this. So we know that Jesus is a great healer. And we were reminded of this through the two stories that we looked at last week. Also, that he is willing and he is able. So again, just a quick review. We've seen these men that came. They brought the paralyzed man. They came without reservation. I really believe that's an important part. They came humbly. We know this. These men that came to Jesus, in, and they came in faith. Then we've seen again that Jesus healed these two men in that story. So today, we know that Jesus still performs miracles. He still heals people, both physically and also spiritually. I want to look. Keep your finger right there in Mark. Sorry, Luke chapter 5. But I want to turn over real quick just to Mark. Mark chapter 5, and look at verse 34 as we get going. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. We're not going to get into that story today, but just as we see in this verse, this woman had experienced a healing through her faith, through faith in Jesus. So each of us know that through faith, all of us can be healed. So it is Jesus we know, and we studied this all last week, it is Jesus who restores. Now, I, 
I can personally testify to this truth. I've witnessed many healings, of course, spiritually, but also physically I've witnessed it. But when I say that, it's difficult. You know, we're praying for Vicky right now in her hand. You know, we pray, and we know God can heal her hand. This doesn't mean that there's not still some areas in my life that do still, even today, need healing. You know, for me, walking in faith, and a lot of healings seem to be a continual process in my life. I don't, you know, God's will on what each of us need doesn't always, we don't always understand it all. Um, very, sometimes we're very fortunate to, to see later, but not always. We don't always know exactly what we think we need, but God knows. This timing very often is beyond my understanding, but God knows. Jesus does, though. He does continually heal and sanctify each of us as we walk as Christians so that each of us can be used by him. It's very important. So Jesus has a lot of work left to do in me. There's still a lot of things in my life. Um, but, you know, I'll tell you one thing. As I go through this process of healing and sanctification, it's very often that Jesus will use others to come alongside me to show me the work that he's doing. So we're going to dig into the passages today. Jesus is going to call Matthew, or we're going to see Levi. So Luke chapter 5, verse 27, we'll start there. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. So now we see the number of disciples is beginning to grow. Here we're reading how Matthew, or Levi, was called to be a disciple. As I begin to look at these verses to start breaking them down, the first thing I noticed was Jesus in the first part. That Jesus, it says, Jesus left the town. Jesus was very busy to go out and teach the lost. He was always very, very busy. And Jesus, again, he was going about, he was leaving, he was on his way out. He was going out to heal, to teach, to cast out more demons, to go out and testify that there is hope through faith. Then as it seems as he was leaving, he ran into Matthew, this Jewish man who was there collecting taxes. You know, typically these tax collectors are very unfair, very dishonest. Uh, you know, they, they worked for the Romans, then they would collect the money from the Jewish people or the other people. Then they'd use the money to give to the Romans so the Romans could continue to rule over them. It was quite an interesting deal. These, these tax collectors, they were very much not liked. They're actually viewed as traitors to their own people, which, honestly, I can see why most people hated these people. I'm not saying it was right, but I can understand why, for sure. These tax collectors, Matthew was helping fund the enslavement of his own people. I want to read a quote. I got a lot of quotes today. I want to read this one from David Guzik. To this point in Luke's account, Jesus has dealt with the paralytic, a leper, and the demonic. Now he was ready for the tax collector. And there is archaeological evidence that fish taken from the Sea of Galilee were taxed. So Jesus took as his disciple the tax man who took money from Peter, James, and John, and the other fishermen along the disciples. So think about this. This is quite a dynamic situation. Look again 
at verse 28. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. You know, there's a lot of people that we run into that say they're a Christian. I mean, a lot of people say they're a Christian. But Matthew responds in such a way here to Jesus' calling that I think it's important for all of us to look at. First, what's he do? The first thing he does after he's called. He gets up. I don't know if this was physically as much, but he's, he gets up and he was moving. He was ready to take action to see where Jesus would lead him. He was ready to do whatever Jesus had called him. The second thing I see is that he left everything. Think about that. Left everything. Matthew left all the things of the world of his life behind with no opportunity to return in his situation. He couldn't go back to being a tax collector. That wasn't going to happen. Maybe some of the other disciples could go back to fishing. For Matthew, there was no return. So there's a great cost to Matthew following Jesus, and he left everything behind. The third thing I see that Matthew followed Jesus, not just in words, but I believe really in his heart, you see here. So it's his heart and in action, both. So Matthew shows us a great example for all of us to follow of what it is truly to start to follow Jesus. Matthew had truly experienced, I believe, the grace and the forgiveness that comes through faith in Jesus. And it changed him radically. So let's see what he's going to do in the next few verses, verses 29 through 30. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Interesting NLT translation. So a celebration, a big party is taking place. Matthew has just chose to follow Jesus. He's given up everything. Then he throws a huge party at his house. You know, I think that Jesus had done such an amazing work in Matthew or Levi's heart that all he could think about was to celebrate and share what had taken place with all the other people that he knew. And I think that's a common reaction of many new believers. When they truly come to faith in Jesus and experience that grace that just poured out on them, when they realize that they are redeemed, you so often, you want to go share that. You want to share that hope that you found in Jesus. And I see that Matthew... I think he experienced this, and he wanted to share, so he invites all of his friends over to share this news, to share about this miracle that he has just experienced through Jesus Christ. So that you think of this guest list, this party list. It was full of the very people that these pious Jews would use to justify their own self-righteousness. That makes sense? These people at Matthew's party were the people that all the Jewish people looked down upon, all that they hated. And they'd say, well, I'm not like that. You know, these were these people. Um, These were Matthew's friends. These are the people Matthew knew, the circle of friends. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I have also done that at different times in my life. I'm, I'm guilty. I have justified my own sin by looking at another person's life or sin. Maybe I'm not that bad. Maybe I'm not doing that. I'm guilty. Uh, it's a very dangerous view. It's, not, it's, it's sinful in itself. And I, you know, I've had to have times of this in my life where I've had to repent, to look upon another person and judge them 
for my own self-righteousness. That justification that we can have only comes through faith in Jesus Christ, not through someone else's actions or how they live their life. That's between us and Jesus. I don't know if many of you have heard of Warren Worsby. Uh, I want to give a quote from him again. I get a lot of quotes today. I don't know why. He says, The scribes and Pharisees were quick to diagnose the needs of others, but they were blind to their own needs, for they were sinners like everyone else. So looking at these verses, these religious leaders, they've been to, they start to complain to the disciples. They don't come to Jesus, did they? You notice that? They didn't come right to Jesus. They came to the disciples, and they're complaining about this celebration. There was a definite undertone as they are coming before the disciples. They're saying, if you hang out and eat with these people, what they're saying is, you are one of them. That's what it's really about. If you're going to hang out with these people, eat and drink with them, you will be one of them. This statement, right, they give, why do you eat and drink with such scum? You know, this statement of eating or this practice of eating with another person is much different in Jewish culture than it is in our culture. Um, you know, you could have someone to your house and you probably wouldn't think as much. But in Jewish culture, it's much different. It was a huge deal to eat and drink or invite someone into your home because they believed you really become a part with that person if you ever shared a meal with them. Now, after I've lived in Asia for quite a while, and I've eaten and been a guest in many homes with a similar type of culture, not our Western culture, I kind of understand why these people would be so selective with who they join in dinner with and who they eat and drink with. I don't know how many of you have uh, ate in a very kind of traditional setting in this culture. I don't know as much about Thailand. But, you know, you all sit on the floor, so that was common. You did have a, a table, you know, on the floor. Uh, we didn't lean, uh, but you have this common food bowl in the middle. You have rice, and you have soup, and you have all these common dishes. Um, you know, there's one soup bowl, and there's one spoon. Uh, you eat with your hands very commonly, and as you're going back and forth, you're eating, you're sharing the cups, you're sharing the bowls, you're sharing the spoons. Your lips are touching the same food, not just, not just utensils, the same food that was in that person next to his mouth. Because, you know, they take that spoon out, there's a little bit left on it, you grab it, you put it in your mouth. Some of you are, like, just crawling right now, aren't you? It's true. I mean, it's very common how they eat in this culture. And it's the same in Jewish culture. You literally almost kind of did become a part of each other, didn't you? You'd be wise to choose who you ate with because, yeah. Now, I shared a lot of meals in a lot of homes with a lot of people. And, uh, yeah, you do kind of become a part of, and uh, you are a little more choosy. And I, don't, I think they're talking even more spiritual, the Jewish people here, when they're saying in this context. But also, there's a physical aspect that we don't realize as Westerners, very common, that in this culture, literally, when you ate with someone, it was very intimate, very, very intimate. So let's see the response to this question from the religious leaders in verses 31 through 32. Jesus answered them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. So even though this question from these religious leaders was asked to the disciples, it was really towards Jesus, wasn't it? They didn't ask Jesus directly, but it was based towards him. So he comes up now and he's going to give them an analogy or a lesson that he had come to heal those who were seeking to be healed. 
Those who don't believe they are in need of healing, even though they are sick, will not seek Jesus, and they will face the result of their sin. Another quote. So there's many reasons a person would go see a doctor. Isn't there? Many reasons. Many people, many reasons why people would not go see a doctor. I was looking at this list that was given here. I'd like to read through it. So there's many reasons, again, that a person, think about yourself. Why would you refuse to go see a doctor? I know some people say, if I go to a doctor, they'll test me and I'll, I'll be sick with something. I wasn't sick before I went to the doctor. That's true in some cases lately, especially, actually. But perhaps you don't know you're sick is why you wouldn't go see a doctor. Or maybe you are sick, but you think you would just get better on your own. You know that you don't, you don't need to go to the doctor to get better. Perhaps you are sick, and you know you need to go to the doctor, but you don't know what doctor to see. That happens. Maybe some of you, maybe you are sick. You know you need a doctor. You know there is a doctor, but you don't know how that doctor could even help you. I've seen that happen. Maybe again, maybe you are sick. Maybe you know you need a doctor. You know there is a doctor. And you know that the doctor could help you. But does that doctor actually want to help you? Maybe. Again, maybe you're sick. Maybe you need a doctor. Maybe you know the doctor can help you. But maybe you don't want to accept the treatment that the doctor is offering you to heal you. What about that? I know that's been my case personally at times with some things I know. I know the doctor. I know that he can probably heal me, but I don't, I don't like the treatment, so I, don't want to, I just don't even want to go because the treatment wasn't worth it. Interesting to think about. Jesus is calling everyone to come before him and be healed, and he can and is willing to work a miracle in every single person's life. That's his hope. But just like the situation I went through, we must come before him and receive this healing. We must come to before him knowing that we are in the need of a doctor, that we are sinners, and then seek him. Seek forgiveness from Jesus. It's a great picture I see through these passages that Jesus is laying out. Let's continue. We're going to get into a little different story here with another lesson. Let's look at verse 33. One day, some people said to Jesus, John the Baptist's disciples fast and pray regularly. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. Why are your disciples always eating and drinking? You know, when I read this question, I think it's like a fair question. I mean, it's not like unreasonable. Is there like a double standard going on? What's taking place here? And if you read the question, it's not they're talking about one single occurrence. They're asking, why do the disciples continually to eat and drink? It's not like one time. So we know fasting. Many of us are familiar with this, uh, especially in the Old Testament. Fasting is a form of worship. It's a form of prayer. It's a time that most of us, you know, especially then, they, in this time, it was a time of repentance and a time that they would try to seek and look for the hope that could be found in the Messiah. So they'd use repentance. Um, they'd use fasting for this. So why weren't the disciples of Jesus fasting? Instead, they were always eating and drinking. I know it's a simple answer, but Jesus is going to answer it for us. So look at 34 and 35. Jesus responded, Do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. 
but someday the groom will be taken away from them, and they will fast. It would seem a season or um, circumstance would seem to dictate when it is appropriate to fast. Jesus was with them. We know this. Jesus the Messiah. So this was a time to worship him, a time to celebrate Jesus. Verse 35, look at it. It says a little something different. It says that Jesus then, he foretells of his own death, a time when fasting would be appropriate for the disciples because Jesus no longer be with them. I don't know how many of you fast. Um, it's interesting, I think, in the kind of more modern churches. You know, some churches are really big on it. Some are not as big. Um, it's something that our family has really, uh, the last year or two, even a little more maybe, has started to look into more and more and practice at times. But for me, it's a time of prayer. I use fasting as a time of prayer, a time of personally repentance, a time of worship, just to say, Lord, I'm going to set all these things aside for you. For me, it's a time that I can draw closer to Jesus. Um, just a time to seek him. You know, I was talking to a pastor a long time ago, and I asked him, like, what do you do when you fast? I mean, obviously, you, you give something up. Um, and it can be, traditionally, it's food. Um, but it can be other things. Um, in a non-traditional sense, it can be. But when you give that up, as you go throughout your day, he said, every time that you think about that thing that you gave up, traditionally food, just go to the Lord in prayer. And whatever you're seeking from him, for whatever reason you're fasting, go to him in prayer in that time. So, I don't know, it's, 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 for me, it's been, I've been blessed by it at times. So after I fast, for me, is a time to usually, for me, celebrate. Celebrate, hopefully, that I, I was able to worship Jesus. Hopefully that I received what I was seeking from him in prayer. And also to celebrate that I was able to draw closer to him during that time. To really rely upon him. So Jesus, we're going to continue here. Jesus has two more illustrations that we're going to look at. So let's look at the first one in verse 36. Then Jesus gave them this illustration. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and uses it to patch an old garment. For then the new garment would be ruined and the new patch wouldn't even match the old garment. I think even in today's culture and society, most of us can understand this. This is an illustration or a practical explanation that I think all of us can kind of grasp. It's pretty simple. I think the biggest thing is the spiritual aspects of this that I want to look at. I mean, we understand if you take a new piece of cloth and you sew it on there, it would shrink, it would tear away, it wouldn't match, it wouldn't even be right to do that. Because what Jesus is saying here is a spiritual context that each of us need to realize that he's talking about. That each of us are a new creation through our faith in Jesus. And when we know this, when we know that the old man is gone, he's dead. And we truly are born again, we are a new creation in Christ. Jesus here, he's using this explanation, talking about him. He came to give us new life. Not to repair us, not to patch us up, not to put a patch over us. You know, it wouldn't work. It just wouldn't work. You can't put a Band-Aid on us, and then we would just become righteous. Jesus, he doesn't just fix our lives. He doesn't just fix something and patch it up. He gives us a new life. We are a new creation, and in that, then we are freed from sin and free from the power of sin. You know, we're not the same person once we came to faith in Jesus. It's not, we're not patched up. We're not repaired. 
We are resurrected to a new life as a child of God. Yeah, praise the Lord. You know, I, you can, it's not a fixing. It's new. So Jesus didn't come to patch things up. He came for new, a new creation. I think it's so important because, unfortunately, so many of us, we don't live our lives out as Christians as a complete new creation and what that entails. I want to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 17 through 18. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. Uh, The verse continues on, but just in case we didn't quite understand this analogy that we saw back in Luke chapter 5, in verse 36, Jesus is going to even give us a deeper explanation. So let's look at verse 37 through 39. And no one puts new wine into old wine skins, for the new wine would burst the wine skins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wine skins, but no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine, they say. Again, just in case we didn't quite understand the analogy Jesus already gave with the patch, he gives us another one to help us understand that we must be a new vessel because the old man, the old us, could not be filled with the Holy Spirit. As Jesus fills each one of us, every one of us have become born again, we expand and I like, that, I like this analogy that he gives with the wine scene. Because at that point, we must be flexible as we grow in our walk as Christians. I know an old pastor would always say, blessed are the flexible. Maybe you've heard that before. So we now, as a new creation, as believers in Christ through faith, many often we can receive or hear of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Maybe some of you have heard of this. An outpouring of the Holy Spirit. To me... We see this stretching that can take place in our lives. But I'm going to tell you, as we have new wineskins, as we are a new creation, we will be able to withstand this feeling of the Holy Spirit. Now, as this continues, you see something interesting in verse 39. It says, but no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine. Jesus is really, I believe, rebuking these religious leaders. I believe today there's many Christians that would say they're Christians that are way, way too comfortable with how things are. He's speaking to these religious leaders here. But I really think as, as in this, it was time for, for Jesus. It was time for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And yet these people here in this story, they said the old is just fine. I think we really see that in the church today so often. So many people, they've been doing ministry the same way for years and years and years. The old is fine. The old is fine. I really want to see a fresh outpouring. As we pray for a revival here in Chiang Mai, I mean, the guy's been doing this a long time here. And I'm going to tell you, there ain't much been happening, honestly. It's still one of the, if you look at the, just look at numbers, it's, it's still one of the highest areas of non-Christians. Yet there's more missionaries here than anywhere else I even know. And so... It's time. We need to let some things go and figure out how God would lead. I don't have the answers. But we need to see how God will lead in a revival in this area. And some of these people, they're like, you can't do it this way. You can't do it that way. You're against the culture. No. Jesus broke the culture. He broke it radically. And I think it needs to happen. 
You know, we go out and we evangelize and we go out and do, been doing things. People are like, you can't do that. Yeah, we can. We need to reach these people with the truth of Jesus. So there's a lot. I think you could preach a sermon on each one of these illustrations alone. But I saw four main points that I want to go through real quick. First point that I saw, that Jesus is the great healer for all those that call upon him. We saw that. I think we saw that we should celebrate and we should have joy as we abide in Jesus, the bridegroom. Third point, Jesus has made us each a new creation. We're not patched or repaired in Christ, but we're born again. We are a new creation. Number four, as we have each been made new, a filling of the Holy Spirit will then take place. We see that. A filling of the Holy Spirit. That will fill us in such a way that only a new vessel can hold a new creation. So the title of today's message was Questionable Actions. And I kind of talked a little bit beforehand as we got going. So what do you think of when I ask you? Do you have any questionable actions in your life? Do you think of it negatively or positively? I'm going for the positive in this. Matthew had some questionable actions, didn't he? Think about this story of Matthew. Everyone was questioning Matthew's actions. Have you each, have you followed Jesus in a way that others would question your actions, even asking if you have lost your mind? What about that? Matthew shows us this, right? Jesus says, follow me. He gets up, he leaves everything behind, and he seeks after Jesus. This would cause others around him to question his action. What are you doing? Have you lost your mind? What, what is this person? I mean, they had to look at Matthew. What has Matthew, what have you experienced that would cause you to do such a radical thing? To leave your old life behind, and Matthew, for Matthew, maybe even a good life, maybe, and to follow Jesus. I can personally tell you what led me to follow Jesus in such a way. Such a way that everyone I knew questioned my actions. What are you doing? You've gone crazy. I had experienced the grace of God. I had experienced the forgiveness. I had experienced the redemption that was given to me through faith in Jesus Christ. And through that, I was born again. I become a new creation. And I was free, again, from the guilt, from the power of sin. He did such a radical transformation in my heart, in my life. I was like, Matthew, I'm just like, I just left everything behind and said, Lord, I will follow you. And people questioned my actions. They still do today. What are you doing in Asia? Why aren't you doing this? Why would you leave that job? Why would you take your kids over to Asia? Why? I mean, the, you know, my actions were questionable by all those that knew me around me because something radically had changed in my life. And that's what happened to Matthew, wasn't it? Jesus said, follow me, and he left everything and followed Jesus. So when I said questionable actions, I wasn't talking about us doing things that maybe we shouldn't do. I was talking about doing the things that we should be doing. To go out there and evangelize to the lost world. To go over to countries that maybe we shouldn't even be in. To go out there and share the good news with the lost. In such a way that people, like, what, what did this person find that would cause them to do this? Why would this person give up everything to go preach the gospel? 
know, today, I personally, I, I look forward to the promises that Jesus has given each one of us that come through faith in Jesus. I no longer need to look back. You know, I think of Matthew here. Um, and all that he experienced has been known as a traitor, as a tax collector, being hated by everyone. You know, I've done a lot of things in my life that I could look back on and really have some regret. And I think of Matthew, and I think of this, how Jesus then continues to teach in this about, you know, being the new wineskin and the patch and the new creation. And I'm so blessed that I am a new creation, that that old man, that old life is gone. It's dead because I am born again. I want to close with another quote. I had a lot of quotes today. Again, from Warren Worsby. I just liked him, and I didn't want to, like, plagiarize him. So I really wanted to share him with all of you, because I liked him so much. So another quote from Warren Worsby. It was, a, it was part of the last one, but I wanted to close with it. Jesus is the perfect doctor to heal us of our sin. He is always available. He always makes a perfect diagnosis. He provides a complete cure. He even pays the doctor's fee. So as each of us are here, I think, I pray that each one of you have accepted Jesus, that each one of you have come to understand that you are a new creation. And through being a new creation, then you are filled with that Holy Spirit, and you're freed from your sin, you're freed from the power of sin, and that it's just an amazing, amazing gift that we see here. And I do pray that each of us would look at our own walk as Christians. I mean, if we walk as a Christian, then nobody questions. I wonder about that walk. If someone just says, you look just like the rest of the world, I can't tell the difference. Are you? Because Matthew, I mean, these people, they gave up everything. And why? Why? Because they experienced Jesus. And because they experienced Jesus, they wanted everyone they knew to experience Jesus. And it's just amazing. So I want our actions to be so radical for Jesus, that we're out preaching the gospel, that even the people closest to be like, why are you so on fire to go share the gospel? So that's my prayer. Please pray for me, and we'll continue to worship. Pray with me, yes. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you for this story that we can read here, as we see this example of how Matthew just left everything. He said, yes. There's a whole backstory, I'm sure, Lord, that we're not aware of, that we'll have to Find out one day about Matthew and, Lord, what he was experiencing, what he was walking through. And his experience with you changed his life so radically that he literally stood up. He left, turned towards you, and followed you, leaving everything behind. Lord, as there's a lot of people here today and people watching online. Lord, I pray that we would have that same heart, Lord, just to follow you. And, Lord, to understand also, Lord, as I think of us being a new creation, Lord. What comes with that is redemption, that we are no longer that same person, Lord, that we are a new creation through faith in you. So I thank you for that, Lord, that I, I no longer have to live with that guilt or that shame because you took care of all of that on the cross, Lord. So, Lord, I praise you and I thank you, Lord. And if anyone is not living a life that is uh, representing this, Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to them, Lord, that they would just come to understand who they are in you, that that old man is truly dead, and they are now righteous before the Father. So, Lord, I thank you, Lord. Please just accept our time as study as worship. We just thank you, Lord. Please show us, Lord, how we can go out, Lord, and share with those around us from this city to Thailand and those countries around us, Lord, that we would go out. People would even question 
Lord, just question our actions because they've never seen someone out there just sharing the gospel like you'd let us. Lord, I thank you and I praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.